have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter number one. An amazing thought that he did it all for me. And so we've been looking at the book of Ruth and the grace of God throughout it. Um, it has been, we're only three weeks in. Somehow I've got stuck with two of those weeks and uh, still have not made it to the good verses. So um, we'll leave those for my dad and uh, we'll, we'll squeeze these next. But you guys thought I preached a long time on two verses. We've got five tonight. And so we'll, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I enjoy that encouragement. <laughs> Ruth chapter number one. Before we get into it, obviously we've been in this book for three weeks now. Uh, really not even made it out of the first chapter yet. And like I said, not even made it to the point to where we are um, in Ruth's story. Uh, after I preached two weeks ago, I had someone say uh, something to the effect of, you know, I've never seen the book of Ruth through the eyes of Naomi. And here's what we've got to understand, is before we ever get to the story of Ruth, we've got to understand the bitterness of Naomi. Um, what makes Ruth a beautiful picture of God's grace, and maybe the most important thing that I can say all night tonight, is what makes Ruth a beautiful picture of God's grace is that he did it in spite of the bitterness of Naomi. Uh, and many times we kind of step back and say, well, the book of Ruth is, is such a beautiful story. But at the beginning, it doesn't start very beautifully. And so Ruth chapter number one is where we're going to be. We're going to be covering verses eight through 13 tonight. And I, I just really want to praise the Lord for just a second before we even get into this passage. Aren't you glad that you have a Bible that every verse has something special to it? I, I, I don't know that I completely comprehended it as a college student, but it was ingrained into me verse by verse, book by book. You just you go right down the line. And sometimes I think that we can be so... Bible-believing Christians yet never step back and understand that every verse has a purpose. And if we're going to be Bible-believing Christians, then we've got to step back and understand and, and really comprehend that if we believe the whole Bible like we say we do, then there's something in these verses for us. And verses 8 through 13 and really verse 5 and 6 weren't that spectacular, and, and the, or verses uh, 6 and 7 weren't that spectacular, but there's nothing really you would look at this and just see it as background material but God did not treat his word like some seventh grade research paper and put a bunch of fluff in there for us he gave us something that we can grow from and that we can take and that we can apply to our lives and so two weeks ago we uncovered that Naomi really invoked and discovered the grace of God when she chose to get back to the bread that was found in Bethlehem and so we walked through verses 6 and 7. We talked about how that Naomi had this process to return back. But in the midst of all that process, there was the grace of God to provide the bread. And in today's or tonight's verses, I want you to understand that the grace of God is evident even when God changes our plans. And I wanted you to be very specific and clear on the wording that I just said there, that the grace of God is evident even when God changes our plans. You see, God never changes His plans, but many times our frustration with God and, and our discouragement and, and our just downtroddenness in this life is not a result of God changing His mind, 
but us feeling like that God is working to change our mind. And when we approach that thought, what we have to unpack and uncover is that that's not a failure of God, that's a failure of our trust in Him. And so I want us to look at verses 8 through 13 tonight, and then we'll look at a couple of points, and then we will be done. But verse 8, the Bible says this, And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And by the way, tonight's sermon, a lot of this is going to be based off of the wording. So if there were ever a night for you to actually pay attention to the Bible reading, I know it's easy to tune out and to kind of just let me read it to you. But if there's ever a point for you to read it for yourself and read along, it would be tonight. And so verse number 9. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband." If I should say I have hope, if I should say I have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? And so here's what she's saying. You're not going to get another son out of me. It, it, and I, the, the, once again, the wording and the verbiage here is so important. She said, if I had hope, if I had hope that I could even get a husband by tonight, would you really be willing to wait around and wait on my son? Would you really be waiting on that? And so she says, Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters. And then this is the phrase that I want us to look at. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi was in a victim mentality and she did not know what God had in store for her. And so tonight I would like to bring a study entitled from our third lesson in the book of Ruth or our third sermon in the book of Ruth is what to do when God doesn't follow your plan. What to do when God doesn't follow your plan. Let's pray and we'll ask God for help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand up. Lord, you know that I have fallen in love with this book of Ruth. And God, I believe that verses 8 through 13 have something for each and every one of us. Lord, I know that you have challenged my heart. Lord, you have stirred me. And Lord, I know that many times my frustrations in this life normally stem from the fact that I don't feel like you're working my plan correctly. And so, God, I pray that as we look at your grace, that we would learn to trust you. When things don't seem to be going our way, that we would trust you. When things seem to be getting worse, or the same, things seem to be spiraling out of control, Lord, that we would trust you. And that we would trust that your plan is far better than the one that we have developed for ourselves. Lord, tonight, as I stand in front of these people, Lord, you know that I do not want to serve them some microwaved meal. Lord, I pray that you would give us something fresh tonight. Lord, I know that you do not need me, but I definitely need you. And Lord, tonight, 
these people don't need to hear from Joel Norris. They need to hear from God. And so, God, I pray that you would give me wisdom or give me the words to say, empty me of myself. In your name I pray. Amen. Nobody likes a change in plans. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big planner. I like to know where I'm going. I like to know what I'm doing when I get there. Unfortunately, this has been passed down to my son, um, who about every night before we go to bed, Daddy, what are we doing tomorrow? We're doing the same thing you've done for the other four years of your short little life, and that is wake up and make messes and maybe eat somewhere along the way. And so, but for most people, no matter if you're OCD or you're a planner, we don't like when our plans get interrupted or there's a change in plans. It, it, it causes us to have this almost sort of anxiety. We, get, we maybe get a little frustrated. Everyone responds to it differently, but across the board, we can all identify and say that we don't like that feeling when something changes without our notice, without someone letting us in on it. I can remember when... My parents and I, we were in a foreign country on an island. And if you've ever been in a foreign country, you know that you're safe as long as you're with the group, okay? Um, and if you've ever hopped off of a, maybe a cruise boat and there's all these taxis lined up or maybe you've gotten to an airport in a foreign country, everyone's kind of clamoring for your business. And so, but as long as you're going the, rest, the same way as the other 50 taxis on the island that day, there's a little bit of security, and so I remember, I, I honestly can't even remember what island it was, but I remember that we uh, got off of a boat and we got into a taxi and uh, I believe we went down to some little village market and we kind of walked through and looked at all the shops and uh, we w went back and we found our taxi driver and he said, you want to see rainforest? I take you to see rainforest. And, well, we didn't really want to see the rainforest. We would actually rather have, see our next birthday if, uh, if that's what you're planning to do. I, I take you to see rainforest. And so we all we got in the taxi, and you kind of learn to keep your mouth shut, and you just hope that 100 other people are going to see rainforest too. And so we got in the back of this taxi, and I remember the further we drove into the rainforest, uh, as he called it, the fewer taxis you started to see, the more that you started to see people coming out of the rainforest than going into the rainforest. And, and I know my dad pretty well. I know my mom pretty well. And I started to see my dad get real squirmy in the front seat. I started to see my mom reaching for any type of tool. I don't know what, I'm just kidding. And, but I started to sense the tension that was kind of building in that. And I remember my dad looking over at the driver and saying, you've got to get us out of here. No, no more rainforest. We, we don't care. Let the toucans stay. We need to go back. And so he, there was just this little bit of nervousness, and it started to kind of escalate. And of course, if you know my dad, you know that his middle name is Grace. And there was, there, the Grace was starting to leave very quickly. Get us back, get us back where people are at, and you can feel the nerves. And finally, the guy just slams on his brakes, which obviously is not a good start to turning around and getting out of rainforest, okay? And so he slams on his brakes and hops out of the van and takes off going down this hill. The end is near at this point, right? And I remember he comes running back up and we're expecting guerrilla warfare to be following him, just this group of people with knives in their mouth and swinging from the trees. And he comes back up and he's holding his hands like this and so we don't know what it is and he opens it up and there's these leaves. 
And he said, you need to take this. And dad said, I'm not taking it. I, that, no, I don't know what that is. He says, no, 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 no. You take this for your nerves so you see rainforest. <laughs> and I feel like that it is important to clarify that none of the Norse family partook of the leaves, okay? <laughs> Whatever they may be. You take this for your nerves so you see rainforest. And, and Dad said, I'm not taking it. You need to get us back to the boat as fast as you got us here. And so the silent van taxi ride back was very awkward. But the truth is, and we would probably be scared to admit it, that man was probably just doing a little bit of his job to show us the beauty of his island. And here's where I fear that many Christians are at. We are so worried about what God's not doing that we miss the beauty that He is providing along the way. I could not tell you one thing about that rainforest because I thought we were going to have to fight our way out of it. And there are some of you tonight that God has changed your plans... God has done something that makes you nervous and that kind of makes you swell up. God, I don't know where you're going with this. God, I can't comprehend this. And so because of it, we're so worried about getting out of it. We're so worried about arriving at the destination that we fail to look and see what God has provided all around us. And tonight, if you're sitting here and God has issued a change of plans in your life, first of all, you're not alone. But can I just encourage you with this, that it is His grace that will get you where you need to be, but it is also His grace that is going to sprinkle the beauty and the blessings and the love and the joy along the way. And if you can just get beyond yourself and get past your plans and get past how you think God's supposed to be treating you and look around and see what He's provided for you, I promise you that it will change your perspective. And there are too many Christians and Christians in this room tonight and Christians in, in churches all around our world that have missed the journey because they're too worried about the destination. And the truth is, is when it comes right down to it, it's because we don't trust God. Naomi was in the exact same situation. She failed to recognize what God was doing in her life because she was so worried about what she did not have. She was so consumed with the fact that everything had been taken away from her that she was now on plan B, plan C, plan D, wherever she was at in the grand scheme of things. All she knew is that this was not the way she planned it. And so because of that, she responded wrongly. She responded with bitterness. She responded with a little bit of a cynical attitude, as we'll see in just a moment. And Naomi was frustrated with the fact that God was not working her plan. And so because of that, she was so consumed with what God had not done that she failed to see what he had done. And so tonight, here's what I want us to look at is a couple, or is three things not to do when God changes our plans. Before we look at the first one, I want to ask you a few questions. What is it in your life that has not gone to plan? What is it that if you could have stepped back 10, 15, 20 years ago and said, God, I don't want that to happen, that is now your reality? 
We've all got it. It doesn't matter how spiritual of a person you are, you have a plan for your life. And God has a way of creeping in and changing those plans and taking us on some beautiful side road to a much better destination. But there are some Christians that will miss it and that will grow bitter at God because it wasn't their way. So what is it in your life that has not gone to plan? Whether you verbalize it or articulate it this way, what are you blaming God for right now? What have you failed to recognize the grace of God in your life pulling you back to Him and trying to draw you to Himself? The bad things in our life are not always there for judgment. Many times it's for us to refocus and to replenish ourselves with the soul-giving spirit of the Word of God. So what is it that you've seen as bad, that you've seen as evil, but as Joseph said, God means it for good? What is it in your life right now that God has changed your plans? How do we respond to that? First of all, we should not assume that God is done with us. Don't assume that God is done with you. Look at verse number 8. And I want you to, I want you to really listen to the way that Naomi spins everything. Words are the only things that we have that communicates what's in our heart. And we get a really good look at Naomi's heart based off of how she spins these things. Verse number 8, it says this, And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. So she's already saying, Don't come with me. Go back to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Do you see the slant on that? The Lord deal kindly with you because he hasn't dealt kindly with me. I hope God can do something good in your life because he hasn't done it in mine. Verse number nine. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest. You go find rest because God knows that I'm too far gone. Each of you in the house of her husband, go find a husband for your house because if you follow me, I can't give you one. Then she kissed them and they lift up their voice and wept. You can tell a lot about what Naomi is feeling because of how she responds in some of the words. I want to kind of walk through the passage. She says, the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. So go do what you want to do because God wants to do something better in your life than what he's done in mine. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. You go find rest because I'm not going to find it. If you skip down and you look at verse number 12, she says this, If I should say I have hope. This is, this is just some dream that she's come up with. That if I even did have the hope, if I could say that I have hope, then even the situation itself is hopeless. You're not getting another son out of me. I'm not getting remarried. I don't even have the hope that God can do that. And so if I should say I have hope. Look at verse number 13, the verse that we kind of focused on. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She wasn't even, she got to the point where she wasn't even mad for herself. Catch that. She wasn't even upset because of what God had done in her life. She was upset because of what her response to God had done in someone else's life. She couldn't even get past the fact that God might be doing something special in her life. 
She couldn't even respond and fathom what God had in store for her because she was so consumed with, I don't want you to follow me. You need to go somewhere else. You need to go find rest. You need to go find where God can deal kindly with you. You need to go and get somewhere where God doesn't grieve you like he's grieved me. And she's responding with this assumption that God is done. She's closing the book of Ruth in chapter number one and never letting herself get to chapter number four where God has weaved this beautiful story into her life and he has given her things that she could have never comprehended. She wasn't the only Bible character to respond like that. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. We're not going to stay here long. But the truth is, is this is a very common response, not only in Scripture, but I believe that if it is common in Scripture, that it is common in modern-day Christianity. That we respond to the things that come into our life in the wrong manner. We respond with the assumption that God is done. God's, God's through with us. The first piece of negative news sends us into this spiraling downward trial of that we just can't even understand what God is trying to do. And so we just assume that God's done with us. And the truth is, is that is a evidence of spiritual immaturity and a lack of a trust in our heavenly Father who cares so much about us. Look at 1 Kings chapter number 19. Before we look at the verse, let's set the context of this story. This is Elijah. If you read 1 Kings chapter number 19 as a single piece of literature just by itself as a standalone passage, you would assume that Elijah had just really been through it. But if you go and you read 1 Kings chapter number 18, it makes 1 Kings 19 almost ridiculous. Because in 1 Kings chapter number 18, here's what happened. Elijah has just prayed down fire from heaven and it has consumed a drenched altar. He's just seen one of the most miraculous things in Scripture occur because of his prayers. You follow that up with the fact that he personally kills 400 prophets of Baal. And then on top of that, his prayers and his faith in the true God is what has reversed the drought that has been in the land for a long time. And so all of those things, you take those into consideration, and then you get to 1 Kings chapter number 19, and let's read how it sounds. The Bible says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Which, by the way... If you're ever going to hunt someone, don't send a messenger to tell them you're going to be hunted, okay? Sometimes I think that Bible characters had a little bit too much character, okay? I'm coming after you, bud. Oh, okay, you want me to stay here and wait on you? Or what, what, what should I do here, all right? So then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow, them referring to the 400 prophets of Baal that he had just killed. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. Get the picture here. He is having suicidal thoughts because a woman said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do what you did to the prophets of Baal the other day. I'm going to do that to you. And Elijah just says, I'm done. Really? You just saw God bring down fire and consume an altar? You, you just killed 400 of the false prophets and now you don't even believe that God has something bigger in store? And many times in our Christian life, we get to this moment to where things get difficult and things get hard and we treat them as individual situations rather than looking back at the long line of things that God has done in our life and saying, God, if you did it then, I know you can do it now. He gets to the point, if you skip down to verse number 10, where an angel visits him and brings him food. And then in verse number 10, it says this, uh, uh, the Lord actually comes and visits him and says, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He says, I'm the only one, God. I'm here by myself. What, what are you going to do now? The Lord brings him food. The Lord has done miracles in his past. The Lord actually comes and says, what are you doing here? And then on top of all of that, the Lord speaks to him in a still small voice. And just to prove that he didn't get the picture, the Lord says, what are you doing here? After the Lord has directly spoken to him and shown all these miraculous feats throughout all of the earth, the Lord says, what are you doing here? And he responds with the same thing. I'm the only one. And so God eventually has to say, I've got someone named Elisha who's going to run alongside of you. And I've got 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You need to go and find them. But here's where we need to come back to. What if Naomi's response would have looked more like this? Rather than, don't go with me to Bethlehem. God's done with me. I can't, I, I'm not going to find rest. What if her response would have looked like this? Come with me to Bethlehem because my God is good and we're going to figure this thing out. What, what if she would have looked in the eyeballs of her daughter-in-laws and rather than saying, you need to get away from me, I'm bad news, and said, no, you need to come with me because God's got something big in store. What if, what if Elijah, rather than going and hiding himself under a juniper tree and saying, God, you're done with me. I'm the only one. Just kill me now. There's no good that can come out of this. What if he would have said, oh, God. God, I, I saw what you did at that altar. I, I saw what you did with the prophets of Baal. And I am looking forward to see what you're going to do with Jezebel. I am looking forward to see how you work this mess out. And I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. This wasn't in my plan, but I can tell you what, it was in your plan. And because it's in your plan, then I can trust you because you're good. And the grace of God is evident even when God twists our plan and he changes it and he presents us with something that we look at and we say, come on, God, that wasn't what I wanted. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't how I saw this working out. That's not how I saw my kid turning out. 
That's not the health that I wanted. That's not the finances that I wanted. So God, what are you doing right now? Do you not know that this is not what I brought to your desk? This isn't why I showed up. And we doubt a holy God all because we don't trust him enough to work his plan much better than he works ours. And so first of all, we must notice that we cannot and we, can, and we should not assume that God is done. Let the story work itself out before you deny God. But then notice secondly that not only should we, not only should we assume that God is done, not done with us, but we should secondly, we should never be guilty of pushing ourselves away from others. And then I want you to listen to the last part of the way this is worded. And others away from God. Don't push yourself away from others and others away from God. Verse number 10 says this, And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Verse number 12, Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. Naomi didn't wake up one day and discover that she was lonely. In fact... She encouraged loneliness. She wanted to be by herself. She wanted to push her daughter-in-laws away. She said, turn again two times in two verses. Get, get away. Don't, don't come with me. Get, just back away and go do your own thing. Elijah did the exact same thing. The Bible says that he got to a, I believe it was Beersheba. He got to Beersheba and he left his servant there and he went a day's further journey. Loneliness is a scary place to be. But it is also something that you can bring about by your own making because of your bitterness against God. There are people that walk through these doors all the time that are lonely and that are searching. And would to God that they would find someone here that as we talked about last week is going to get them back to the place that God wants them to be. But the application for that, of that for us as Christians is this. There comes a point in our lives to where if we're not careful, we will take the hurt and the pain and the sin and the guilt and the shame that we are experiencing and we will push everyone away from us because it's just better for me to be by myself. And here's what the Lord laid on my heart today as I went through this passage. When you do that, you're missing the blessing of going through life and encouraging someone else, but you are also robbing them of a blessing. Today, as I looked through this book, I wept over Orpah. You see, the book is named Ruth because Ruth stuck with Naomi, and it wasn't because of Naomi's sterling attitude and character. 
But what happened to Orpah? We don't hear anything else about her. We don't get to see God do a miraculous work in her life. Why? Because there was a bitter child of God that says, you just need to back away. You, you just don't get close to me. Don't, don't, don't follow me. Don't come back to Bethlehem with me. You need to go and find something else. And, and here's, here's what blows my mind is that there are Christians that walk through valleys and walk through trials and they do it by themselves and, and, and they walk through victory over sin and they do it by themselves. And it could very well be that that person at work that is watching how you handle stress, that's watching how you handle your financial struggles, that's watching how you handle your marriage problems, it's not that they're looking at you. They're looking for your God to show up in your life. They want to see something better than what they've got. And Naomi thought, they're just following me because I'm all they know. And she says, you need to back away from me. But I don't think that Ruth and Orpah were following her because of her. I think they were following her because of verse number six. They heard the exact same news that Naomi heard, and that was that the Lord had visited Bethlehem. And the best thing that you can do when God changes your plans is not push everyone else away, but is to find someone that you can link arms with and that you can walk through that valley and that you can do the tough spiritual work and that you can pray with and that you can say, we're getting through this thing together and when we get on the other side, we're gonna find the beautiful story. We're gonna find the 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. We're gonna find our Elisha. We're gonna find our Boaz. We're gonna find the good that comes out of this bad and we're gonna do it together and we're gonna find the grace of God together. But when you push everyone away, you're robbing yourself of the blessing of camaraderie to go through a trial with fellow Christians and with fellow friends who want to pray and lift you up, but you are also robbing that person of a blessing to where they get to see God show up in your life. And the truth is, is that Christians all around this country and all around this world, we've gone through so many trials and tests and, and problems and change of plans but no one sitting beside of us knows. No one sitting in these chairs know how God's shown up for you. And so you know what they do? They face their trial the same way you faced yours, by themselves. And if you've, had, if you've seen God do something in your marriage, man, you better help someone else get through something in theirs. If you've seen God do something in your health, then you better help someone else get through theirs. But we cannot push others away from ourselves and from God. And then notice lastly, and we'll be done, that not only should we, not, should we assume that God is done with us, and not only should we never push others away from us and from God, but lastly, is that we cannot miss the purpose of God's plan. Don't miss the purpose of God's plan. Look at verse number 11. 
And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb? That they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. You read through the book of Ruth and your heart aches for Naomi because she's just missing it. She's so confused. We have the opportunity to read all the way through and we want to go back to Naomi and Ruth chapter number one and say, hang on till chapter four. It's going to get better. But she didn't have that opportunity. But she also didn't have the faith in God to even recognize His grace. And what she's saying in these verses is a very sorrowful tale of a lady who had been beaten and bruised by the things and the affairs of this life. So much so that she did not even hurt for herself. She just hurt for others. It grieveth me much, not because I've gone through this. It grieveth me much because you've had to go through this. She missed it. She missed the fact, and I want you to listen and we'll close and we'll be done, but if you hear nothing else that I say tonight from this study and these verses, I want you to listen to this. She missed that her joy and her peace was not found in the absence of trials and difficulties, but in the presence of God. She missed the fact that God's plan all along was to bring something into her life that drew her back to Him. And many times when God changes our plan, what's our prayer? Our prayer is, God, change it back to my plan. Cancer? God, I don't want that. Give me back my health. Hard financial struggles? God, I didn't sign up for this. Give me back my money. When the spiritually mature Christian that has a strong faith and trust in God will say, God, I don't understand this. I can't comprehend what you're doing, but I know that it's pushing me closer to you. And rather than run away from the one person who can do something about it, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you are good and that you're working on my behalf and that you're going to bring me out on the other side of this thing and it is going to be a beautiful picture of grace. It's going to be something miraculous. 
And so I'm not going to only choose to worship you in the absence of everything bad, but I'm going to choose to say that when something bad comes, I'm going to get into your presence. And true love and true joy and true peace is not found in the absence of trial or the absence of fear, but it is found in the presence of God. And rather than basing your peace and your joy and your satisfaction on what's going on around you, you have to base your joy and your peace and your satisfaction on the one who goes before you. You've got to step back and stop looking at all of life's circumstances and all of the situations that didn't go your way, that wasn't your plan, that wasn't how God, how you wanted God to work it out and say, God, all I know is that I can't figure this out. It's tough, it's hard, but I've got you. And rather than being anxious and upset because this might not be the journey that I've chosen, I'm going to look around and I'm going to recognize how good you've been to me in the process. I'll close with this illustration. One of the hardest things as I study a passage like this and the Lord lays something on my heart like tonight is the disconnection that something like this has with our human brains. Basically what I'm trying to get you to understand from this passage is that because of God you can look at something that everyone else around you says is bad and see it as good. And just to be completely human, that's not how my brain works. And chances are that's not how anyone in this room's brain works. That we look at difficulty and we see something good in it. And so my heart always is to try to connect the dots of the spirituality that comes from knowing God and having a deep relationship with Him and our humanity. And the only way that I can really stand before you and do that is by trying to give you a, a personal illustration of how God's connected the dots in my heart. Many of you, you've, how many of you have ever seen or heard the quote or you've seen a sign that says the journey is just as important as the destination? Anybody seen anything like that? Pinterest, Ross, something, okay? TJ Maxx. Um, we actually have that sign in our restroom, which is at home. I'm not sure that that's the best place for it, but that's where it is. <laughs> and I remember that I, it's just one of those pithy little statements that you, you look at and you think, wow, that's good. And then you think about it and you're like, is it good? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense. The journey is just as important as the destination. And I remember I was reading it one day and I was thinking, ah, that's, that's deep. That's good. That's not true. <laughs> the 12-hour drive to Disney World is awful. <laughs> Disney World is great. So the journey to Disney World is miserable. The destination is way better. And the truth is, is you still have the misery the whole time you're there of thinking you've got a journey back to your other destination. This is fun, kids, but we've got to be in the car for 12 hours. So that's not true. I remember I looked at that sign and I thought, that's, that's a lie. And then I remember that I was listening to a sermon 
or it was a ministry leader training thing. And the, the guy said, the journey from point A to point B is as, important, is as important as point B. And then he said this, if the journey is filled with misery and a lack of joy and disgust and anguish, it makes the destination a lot less meaningful. And we're thinking, okay, I'm getting a little bit more clarity on that. And then for whatever reason, when those thoughts were swirling through my brain, I, came, I got to my Bible reading and I tried to read a psalm a day and I was in Psalm 23. And long before anyone ever printed the phrase, the journey is as important as the destination, God gave that thought. I want you to listen to Psalm 23 like you've never heard it before. And listen how God shows us to look around during the journey. And then we'll close with some application. Psalm 23, you all know it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Verse number six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You want to know what God was saying? Long before you ever get to the house of the Lord, I'm going to lead you beside some still waters. Long before you ever rest with me in heaven for eternity, I'm going to bring you to some green pastures. And here's what I'm afraid that we miss as Christians because we're a lot like Naomi is that we follow our shepherd off the beaten path and we're frustrated about it the whole time. Man, God, I don't like this. This is, this is not what I was wanting. God, did you not know that I had a green pasture picked out over there? Yeah, I... I know you're my shepherd, but I had my own still waters. My life was good over there, and now you've brought me over here? You've led my child away from you? Over there, my kid was going to college. My kid was doing this. My kid wasn't a prodigal, and now you've done that? And we fail to invest in the kids that are right under our nose. God, you brought this illness into my life. Over there, I wasn't sick. In my plan, everything was good. And if we're not careful, 
We will be just like Naomi. It takes a very, and I want you to listen to this, it takes a very immature Christian to only praise God at the destination. But it takes a faith-filled, spiritually mature Christian to praise God in the journey. It's easy to rejoice when you get cancer-free. It's easy to rejoice when you've got a lot of money in the bank. It's easy to rejoice when the, hey, hey, the gang's all here. God's brought home the prodigal. But it's hard to rejoice when you show up at the doctor and he says it doesn't look any better. When the child that you've prayed for for years seems to be going deeper rather than coming closer to God. When, when the, those hard times and those, those things that we can't understand, it, it's, it's easy to praise God after the prayers have been answered. But it is difficult to praise God while you follow Him and say, God, you're my shepherd. And even in the midst of of the valley of the shadow of death. You're there. And you led me here. And I believe that because of your grace, you've got something good for me. So I'm just going to keep following. And I'm just going to keep looking around and trying to see the rainforest even though that I don't know where we're going. And tonight, Franklin Road Baptist Church, from this book, here's what I need, I think that we need a healthy dose of. I think we just need to get back to a healthy dose of believing that God's got it figured out way better than we do. And that if He's our shepherd, yeah, He's going to lead us in some places that we don't understand. But along that journey, there's some still waters. And rather than being the sheep that laps up the still waters and complains because it's not your still waters, you need to say, oh, Lord, thank you for bringing me to this point. God, I know you're good. And I know your grace is sufficient for me, even when it's not my plan. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you feel like that for some reason God has gypped you, he, he, He's made a change in your plans, then can I just encourage you to find a place at this altar and say, God, I can't, I can't figure it out. But you can. And long before this ever snuck up on me, you knew that it was going to happen. So as the piano begins to play, we're going to stand... We're going to sing a couple of verses of Amazing Grace. And I would encourage you to find a spot either there in your seat or here around this altar and just say, God, I know you're good. If you say nothing else, God, I know you're good. We're all prone to want our plan more than we want God's. But Naomi missed the fact that 
even though this didn't line up with her plan, God was drawing her closer and he was weaving something much more beautiful. And so as Nate sings, we've had some really sweet moments over the past couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, just us as a church family. As Brother Nate begins to sing, I want you to think about the grace of God in your life. How God's shown himself strong.